0: Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode,
1: your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to episode 303 of Sexology. Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about what research says about choking someone safely. Before we're going to that conversation, I wanted to share something with you that's been impacting me greatly in last couple of weeks and I've been devastated because of it. You perhaps have seen the footage of protests in Iran in, in some media and if you don't know the background of what's happening on September 16, 2022, 22-year-old woman Mahsa Amini was arrested in Tehran for improperly wearing her hijab. She had the headscarf. Only few strand of hair was out of her scarf. And she was beaten into a coma while she was under custody of morality police and a couple of female photographer in the hospital by chance saw her and took her pictures, and that helped people to hear her voice. And now those photographers are in political prison. And because of what they did, hundreds and millions of people went to the street and they protested against morality police and all the oppressions of women are experiencing inside Iran. And this has been going on for three weeks. Just a couple of days ago, there was another woman. She was actually a minor. She was only 17. She was raped and beaten to death by the police, by Iranian police, because she attended the peaceful protest. The reason I'm sharing this with you, it's because it's really important for these women to be heard. As you guys know, I have a Farsi show as well. And I hear from from them every day that they, they want us to amplify their voice. So if you want to support women in Iran who are fighting this great cause, please make sure you're posting about it, talking about it. You can just reshare the content we have in our social media and add hashtag Masa Amini, which was the name of the girl who got killed. And I'm super grateful for every single one of you guys that posted about this, because this is a cause that's very close to my heart. And many of our colleagues, especially sex therapist community, shared the news, talked about it. And I can't tell you how important and meaningful those messages has been to Iranian women inside the Iran because they often feel unheard and unseen. And every single post gives them courage. Anyhow, on a more positive note today, we're going to talk about safe choking. One of my wonderful colleague, Professor Debbie. Benek will join us in this today's conversation. We're going to talk about how common is choking during sex. Dr. Debbie what she did was she went through lots of resources that people go to when they want to learn how to choke and she's going to share with us what she found in those studies and those articles and what are some of the misinformation out there and she's going to tell us where we can get accurate information. She's an internationally recognized sexual and reproductive health professor, researcher, and educator. She's a tenured professor at the Indiana University School of Public Health and director of the Center for Sexual Health Promotion. For more than 20 years, she has dedicated her efforts to understanding how people experience their bodies and sexual lives. Among her more than 190 scientific publications, she has developed and validated measurement skills to assess genital self images, the equality of sexual experiences, and measures related to sexual pleasure. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Debbie Herbenek. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Debbie Herbennick to our show. Hi, Dr. Debbie, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. I am very excited about this conversation. I remember that you were talking about choking back at ASAC conference that I attended, I don't know a few years ago, it was in Denver. And I was like, oh my God, this is so needed because just people, this is a behavior many people are engaging in and I feel there's are not enough accurate information out there. So that's why I was so grateful when you... You kind of like had this published, this article, and it seems like you published a lot on on different kind of like topics related to choking. So tell us, how did you get interested in doing this research?
0: Sure. So my team studies population level sexual behavior. So we look at sexual trends in the United States, sexual attitudes in the United States, and have for many years now. I run what's called the National Survey of Sexual Health and Behavior, but also other large population surveys. And so there were a couple of things that happened. One is that in 2016, we had the opportunity to conduct a large U.S. nationally representative survey in collaboration with some filmmakers who were studying some shifts that they were seeing in sexual behavior. And through that collaboration, we ended up wanting to assess some types of sex that usually don't make it into those large national sex surveys. So we were looking at kinds of sex that people, you know, were talking about having learned about from pornography or felt that pornography had, you know, influenced them or their partners in some way. So these were behaviors like choking and hard spanking and so hard enough to leave a mark more aggressive fellatio and other types of behaviors. And when we got the data back, we were really surprised to see in particular how prevalent choking seemed to be becoming among young adults and even some teenagers. And so it, it caught our attention. In the same study, we also found that many young women were reporting unexpected choking. So choking without first asking or discussing it as something scary that had happened to them during sex. And there were many other examples, uh, but many of the other examples were things that we, we often see and we often expect, like telling a partner sex hurts and them not stopping. So the choking stuck out because it was newer and it was surprising. And it also lined up with some of the questions my own college students were beginning to ask about choking that they never used to really ask about before. So that that caught our attention and it, it felt like it needed additional study.
1: Absolutely. And, and speaking of unexpected choking, I heard from my clients, especially my female clients in a cisgender, the heterosexual relationship, they said that how shocking it was for them and how traumatizing it was for them. And I was curious where people are learning these things. And I don't think necessarily porn is bad, but it's not sex education. And that's why I I really thought that the research that you did was so Fantastic because you were looking at where people get the information. So how, how did you do that study? So I saw that like you did a very extensive search on where people are looking when they're thinking about what, where can I learn choking?
0: Yeah. So even to back up a minute, we, one of the earlier studies we did after that big national survey was a series of interviews with women and men, both cisgender and transgender to ask them about their experiences with choking. And whether they had choked or been choked or both. And in that study, we asked where they had learned about it. And people talked about pornography. They talked about, you know, um, less so the internet, but some the internet. They talked about mainstream magazines, you know, like very, very mainstream things and television shows and movies. And they talked about partners and friends. Um, they even talked about social media memes, which was really interesting to us. And we have a paper coming out about that. But the study that, that you're referencing was a content analysis of 27 online articles. And what we were really trying to understand was if you went to the internet to learn about how to how to choke somebody or engage in choking during sex, what would you find and what information would you come across? And so we used search terms like how to choke somebody during sex or choking during sex or, or other things like that and we found 27 distinct articles on the first several pages of of searches and those are the ones that we sought to analyze and to find out what it was that that people would learn if that's how they you know relied if that's what they relied upon for education about joking
1: and i tell my clients at time that you know like for sex you have all the information that you need for as far as like a, a desire and response but when it comes to the certain behaviors, it's truly a skill, right? Just saying that go with your intuition <laughs> does does not be sufficient. And choking is one of those. It's
0: true. And it's true for so many behaviors, right? It's true for it's I mean, there are some that you can probably it's it's like a dance and you're paying attention to each other's bodies, but there are many things that it, it really helps to just talk with a partner. And you know, I appreciated what you said about pornography not being sex education. And it's true, right? It's fantasy. It's not education. But I think what's really difficult about choking and other rough sex behaviors and where people can or or don't learn about them is sex education doesn't provide people with that either. Because, you know, high school Mm. sex education is just not anytime soon going to to cover rough sex. And even in college sex education, most places don't. Um, It's not in human sexuality textbooks. You know, there's a little, some some textbooks comment on sexual asphyxiation in often more of like a fetish type of section of a chapter, but really not in terms of just sexual behavior. So sometimes those behaviors are problematized and not really discussed in terms of harm reduction, for example, or sexual communication or how you negotiate that with a partner. And so, you know, when we looked at those 27 articles, we found a lot of misinformation, even though many of them did reference that you know choking can be dangerous they generally would say but here's a safe way to do it or the proper technique or right way to do it And, you know, and, and that's complicated. I think one of the questions we tried to raise in that article is what does it mean to be safe? And, you know, and it's, it's very tricky when it comes to choking, because on one hand, it is true, people can possibly die from being choked during sex. On the other hand, we don't know how rare or likely that is. What we do know is that it is so common now in the United States as a behavior that almost certainly there are tens of millions of people who engage in choking in any any given year. And yet we really aren't hearing about hardly any deaths. There are some, and it's not to say they never occur, But if you think about it from a risk perspective, what does that mean? Is it one in a million, one in 10 million, you know, one in 30 million? And it's not to minimize any level of risk, but you know, as a public health professional, one of my questions is always trying to understand a risk profile, right? And we all wanted to know that with COVID, right? What are the chances of getting COVID if you wear this kind of mask versus that, or if you are vaccinated, but you go back to work without a mask? And people are trying to to say, is it more or less than the flu? Or is it, you know, like, that's what people are trying to understand. What's my risk level and what am I comfortable with? And so I think with choking, we are so at the beginning stages of that research that it's difficult to pinpoint both risks of very serious events like potential death, as well as risks of, you know, other types of possible health consequences like having recurrent headaches, and I would like to be able to, to figure some of that out because I think that's the kind of information that would help people figure out, is this a sexual behavior I'm comfortable either doing to my partner or having done to me? But without that information, people don't always have a way of assessing their risk.
1: That makes sense. And I was looking at the kind of like resources that you looked into, and many of them are very well known and a kind of resource that people are using. Because when I read the abstract, I was like, okay, maybe it's someone else, someone's blog that they're not like widespread. But some of these kind of resources that you mentioned are very well known and people go to them for the information. So uh, like I can see that saying that, okay, if I wanted to, how to choke someone going to someone's website that you trust. Then that, that can be actually more alarming because you think that, okay, I, I got the information I needed. And there's just so many components. I, I looked at the kind of like the questions. that think that you guys looked at your team, you and your team. And it was very interesting. That's some of the major things that you, you mentioned that people are missing as far as kind of like the direct and indirect consent and also a medical one's medical history. Because how do we know that people's medical history, as you put on the research, are, are not going to play a role in this scene? And it, I think it was very interesting. To look at that. And I, I'm curious about the meme part. Like people get sex education from memes. Did I, <laughs> did
0: I hear that right? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. We were surprised to hear that because I thought, you know, memes are are pretty brief, right? They're a picture, there's a little bit of text sometimes, but they're not terribly informative. So we yeah, we have a paper that is under review right now, and we analyze hundreds of memes. And we have with similar questions, right? If you come across these memes, and not everybody will see them, you know, but if you come across them, what do you take away from them? Or just sort of what do you see? And I think, you know, from there, we weren't, we weren't expecting and we didn't see the same type of thorough information or articles that you would find in an online article, like in that article website that we did. But what you do get is a sense of what choking means to people. And so there's a sense from some of the memes, for example, that it can be like there, that there are aspects to choking that can reflect a really caring, wonderful partner. For example, if if you ask them to choke them harder, to to be choked harder, but your partner said you know expresses concern for you, that some of these memes almost put a romantic glaze over that. Like, oh, isn't that sweet, right? That like they they're worried about killing me, and so they, they sort oh, of yes. joke about that. I mean, memes are supposed to generally be funny, but then there's some other ones that are that are difficult to read, right? Where they are they show a picture from a, fa- a famous movie where these men are laughing. And the idea is that like, oh, she thinks consent is needed for choking. And, and they're laughing about that. And so, you know, so the question is, right, like, what are really people taking away from this? Do they, you know, some people might take away, yes, it is laughable that, you know, that somebody would, that we would want to have a consent conversation or nonverbal consent, whereas other people might, you know, really sort of see that as, as challenging those ideas. And so, you know, yeah. So we we really um, are trying to understand what people are getting from that, but I think mostly probably what they're getting mm-hmm. is that choking is normalized. It can be romantic. It can be, ro- you know, erotic. And so they may not be getting information about how to choke or be choked, or they're probably not getting too much information about risks. Although quite a few of them do reference like the possibility of death, um, but no other real risks. But I do think they're generally getting a sense of it being normalized or expected or erotic. You know, it was the young women in particular who mentioned the memes as where they learned about choking. And so we did see some gender differences with men very often describing pornography and women in friends and partners and women also talking about friends and partners, but women really talking about
1: the memes and social media. That makes sense. So one of the things that you were talking about, and I know we, we most people in the field, they, they're they aware of it, is like the paucity of data on sex education, even the basic information for most people. And then you're trying to learn what is normal, because everyone want to, like, most people want to be accepted, and they want to kind of have great time with the partner. And they kind of like, then picking cues from the places, that's not meant to be a Resource for sex education, or giving you information about what is normal or what what feels good for you. I, I remember that when I was in college, when someone started like choking himself, sex, I was very shocked. I was like, "What is happening? Where is this coming from?" And I hear more and more from clients these days that that is this is something that they experience. I know in the article you talked about there were there was some lack of kind of important information on those articles and there was some inaccurate information. Can you tell us more about those?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, for the inaccurate information, it was really just, it was mostly a suggestion just that it's safe, right? And and the, the word safe is always really complicated, right? Because even with, even with regular vaginal intercourse in our field, we don't talk about it as safe. We might talk about safer sex, right, using a condom, but we really don't say it's safe. So there's a caveat there that re- like, like there's really no type of safe sex. If we think like safe from anything, right? Pregnancy, infection, other things, but choking just has different layers to it because it does have some possibility, even if extremely, extremely low of death. And, and I think, you know, that, that risk can be heightened if somebody really doesn't know what they're doing. I certainly have heard from many students that their choking experiences are generally pretty light pressure. You know, people are trying to do it in a safe way. They are using nonverbal or verbal communication and feedback from partners. They may have safe words or safe gestures in place. So there are definitely some people who are taking, you know, reasonable precautions. Although again, like some level of risk is always there. But then there are other students who describe And I say students because I'm on a college campus. So I'm around a lot of young people, but we have non-students in our work too. But we do hear from some other people who have had just really frightening experiences, right? Often with somebody they don't know well, who they haven't really had good communication with about choking. And as you described with some of your clients, it can feel very traumatic, especially if the person just doesn't know what they're doing and they choke the person very hard. Sometimes, you know, unexpected things can happen and even very well-meaning consensual encounters. In our interviews, we've just had situations where people do talk about it. They do know their partner, they have a plan, but some, you know, but they're still new to it. And so something about it, like just doesn't feel good or goes wrong. And most of the time people can just communicate about that and they figure out, okay, well, this is what happened. This is what didn't feel good. Here's how I want you to do it differently. And, and they work that out, but it doesn't mean that for some people, there's still not some feelings of, you know, fear or anxiety. And that can be on either side. I mean, we sometimes, you know, talk in our articles mostly about the people being choked, but we have had people who have choked their partner in a way that the person asked to be choked, but, you know, something unexpected hap- happened, like the person passing out and the person was who did the choking felt very afraid you know for a few seconds until they saw that their partner was fine you know and so we we've we've heard from people on that side of it too where they've said you know this i was new to this i didn't know what i was doing i followed their instructions but it was very scary for me and and i you know didn't want that to happen and even though we talked about it and corrected it it just kind of left me a little shaken up so it's it's a different level of, I think, choking and other kinds of rough sex just bring up different dynamics that in a sexual situation that people aren't always prepared to to experience and to deal with.
1: That is very interesting and aligned with what I hear from clients. I know one, one of the other things that you mentioned I was very interesting in that paper about the skin color. Like sometimes people go with kind of like how your skin color changes or the marks and Depending on people's skin color, that might not be the accurate way of examining that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Several of these articles talked about paying attention to, like, you know, pinkish hues or turning blue or turning purple. And I think, you know, there are a couple things that that raises. One is that we don't know if by the time somebody's skin, you know, tone is changing to like uh, grayish or bluish or purple. I mean, for some people, that could be too late to stop before there's some level of either discomfort, pain, or or harm. And then again, you know, as we note in the article, and you mentioned, I mean, if you with certain skin tones or darker skin tones, that may be less apparent, or you know, only becomes apparent when it's you know further down the line. So we were surprised to see several articles note that as a suggestion because it also came up when we interviewed people. I mean, there are definitely people who feel like you know, they should be looking for changes in skin color. And again, on both sides of it, there are some people who instruct their partner to to check their skin color changes. And then there are people who feel like maybe from something they've heard that that's what they should be looking for in terms of safety signs. And I think, you know, I, again, I feel like we're still so early in understanding Choking that I, I'm really reluctant to, to say that that should be one of the indicators for people. I know they're using it, but th- I do have some concerns about that.
1: Given that how common it is, or at least it's not a rare fetish, as you mentioned, and, and people are interested in exploring that. I think it would be interesting to see where where can people go because I know me and you it's like from your work I, I I know that you're a sexual, sex positive person supporting people with whatever they want to do. So if someone is interested in rough sex or particularly choking where can they get the right information? I don't know
0: right now. I think <laughs> in, I think in part because we are trying to figure out what is the right information mm-hmm. when it comes to something like choking. And so I haven't, you know, there is one group, I shouldn't say I don't know completely. There is one group and their website is in the know and they are based out of New Zealand and they have created Mm -hmm. the first educational materials that I'm aware of that are what they have some specific to choking and some specific to rough sex. And these materials are aimed at youth. And so I don't mean like that nobody's ever educated about choking and rough sex before. Of course, they have, especially in kink and BDSM communities. But I think in terms of educating these in a more mainstream general education website, that again, is youth engaged. I mean, this organization, The Light Project, worked with teenagers and young adults to develop these materials in ways that would support their sexual exploration, communication, and consent practices. And so really being responsive to what it is that young people are experiencing during hookups, thinking about engaging in and making those choices. And I think they did a really nice job of balancing Concerns about risk and health consequences with the fact that young people are saying this is something that we're interested in and that many of us have done, and we want to hear you know, how we can be safer about that. With my own human sexuality students, we talk about this. And some hear about potential health consequences and say, this just isn't worth it to me. I don't want to do it. Others say, I really want to be submissive. This is the risks are not worth it to me with choking. But I I can think of lots of other ways to be submissive. And then they, they imagine other ways, right, with role playing or other types of rough sex that they feel have risk profiles that they're comfortable with. And then there are, there's a third group of students who just say something more along the lines of, well, I take on lots of risks in my life in different ways. You know, I, I know that drinking a lot of alcohol is not good for me, but I do that sometimes. I know I shouldn't really be speeding when I drive, but every now and then I do it. And I think that even though choking carries some risks, they are rare and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And so those are, you know, those are all realities of people's lives. And people in each of those groups deserves to have some information that supports them in figuring that out. So for people who do decide to engage in this, you know, I recommend still a lot of communication, you know, having safe words and safe gestures, always starting out on the lighter end of pressure with partners. But even so, recognizing that even light pressures can hurt people and possibly kill them, right? Very rare but it has happened. And so, you know, so thinking about those, you know, those types of issues, you know, not drinking or using substances when, you know, when you're choking or being choked. And, and a lot of these are, you know, just guidance that would come from kink communities anyway, that would say, you know, here are some general good guidance around, you know, like risk aware consensual kink, and how you can go about it. So I still think that, you know, for people looking for information, the better information is usually going to come from, you know, from kink communities, from BDSM communities. But unfortunately, I think a lot of as choking has become so mainstream and so very, very prevalent among young people, most young people just don't identify, you know, as kinksters or as folks in BDSM communities. So they don't always think to go to those spaces to learn, which is too bad.
1: Well, I, I think those are great resources you mentioned and I think kind of being aware of the risk and what you want to do and making that decision is important because I think if we're thinking this is a common behavior and let me quickly Google it and many many people are like that come up they're very well known in the field they're doing great work then you perhaps you think you have all the information that, that you would need or you might need to do the behavior especially that you say like it's a younger population and what I'm hearing that truly given the complication of people's health and all sorts of challenges no one can guarantee that it's safe but again like we do a lot of things in world in our life with less or more risk so it's more on kind of the person to make the decision for themselves that if this is safe for me or not but it's important to know it can be a, and it is a risky behavior
0: yeah, and I think, you know, some a piece of information that's really important for people to hear too and my students find this they really this really resonates with them is that, you know, it's true that people make lots of choices for themselves about risks that they're willing to take on. You know, a difference with partnered sex is that there's somebody else involved. And so even if somebody says, "I'm completely comfortable with this risk and I want you to choke me," You know, that other person doing the choking also needs to make sure they feel comfortable taking on the risk of possibly harming another person. And so something that some of my students hadn't considered is that, again, it's extremely rare for somebody to die. But in some of those instances where the person has died, well, their partner is responsible for that. You know, there are people who have gone to prison for accidentally killing somebody during, you know, during sex. And those cases are complicated by, you know, judges and juries having to figure out what was intentional versus not intentional. You know, is it rough sex or is it intimate partner violence? That's always a question that can be complicated for some of these cases. But my students have said, you know, oh, I didn't know that. Like, I mean, some of them have said that they thought as long as it was consensual and they could show that, for example, like by text messages or emails or or just, you know, some other some other way of showing that 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 no harm could come of them if they accidentally choked another person, which brings up a whole lot of layers, right, of like just concern for other people in their health, as well as concern for what happens to you if you accidentally do that. And so I, and I don't think that perspective is talked about enough. We do talk about the risk of somebody's own health, but I know that my students do think about what could happen to them if they're the, you know, the person who accidentally harms another person. And they do say that, you know, they, they generally have told me, look, we, almost all of us know that death is possible as a risk, But what we didn't know is that we could be responsible for that and that that's a powerful Mm -hmm. message to share, you know, with other people. And so, again, everyone's going to make the choices that they make with their partners. But that is still another piece of the puzzle that probably shouldn't be talked about when people decide for themselves what to do.
1: Well, I didn't even think about that part of it. And I think that that's also important, kind of like when you're making a decision, looking at it from all angles, and what would that mean for all parties involved? And how can you protect yourself in the best of the ability? So like, even with text, if you have a text message and the person dies, how, how much of evidence would that be legally? How would like, what would that stand and all of that? So these are the decisions that you said, like people need to be intentional about it if if they want to kind of protect themselves and loved ones. We are toward the end of our time, but I know that you publish so many great resources. You teach, professor. So if people want to learn about your work, all the things that you do, where can they go? And what are some of the resources that that you can share with us?
0: Sure. Our Center for Sexual Health Promotion at IU's website is sexualhealth.indiana.edu. And you can find information about all of our publications and presentations, and we're happy to send copies of articles to folks. And then my own website is just debbieherbenek.com, and I'm always glad to hear from, from people.
1: Well, thank you so much for doing all of this helpful, informative research. Thank you so much for your time and talking about it with us, and it was certainly a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. And I personally learned a lot about risk connected to choking and also about the resources that you can go to if you want to learn more about choking. If you have a resource that helped you to learn more about this sexual skill, let us know. At the end, I also wanted to give a shout out to Ruth Ramsey, she entered to for our contest of writing a Review for us in Apple for our episode 300 anniversary. Thank you so much, Ruth. We appreciate you. You'll get the email for the $100 Amazon gift card. And at the end, also, if you are looking for different ways to spice up your sex life, I have a free resource for you. The link will be in the show notes and I chose nine different ways that you can spice up your foreplay tonight. So if you're interested in changing things in the bedroom, make sure you are downloading that checklist. And I will see you next week right here. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.